Good evening. It's great to see you and to have a chance to come and worship God together. As we begin, let's pray that God would speak to us as we look at these amazing parables tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the freedom we have to come and worship you and read your word and learn and receive from you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see and receive everything that you would want to give us tonight. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have ever been on a long car journey with little people. (laughs) If you have, you'll be only too familiar with this little voice or voices coming from the back of the car. Are we nearly there yet? (laughs) Are we nearly there yet? When I was a youth pastor, I discovered that it wasn't just little people uh, that asked this question. One sunny Saturday afternoon in June, I decided to take my youth group, maybe slightly uh, for personal kind of gain as well, to the beach for the day. Um, So this was a youth trip. Uh, We were going from near Watford down to the south coast. um, And I'm not exaggerating when I say that we hadn't even got through the next village, so like five minutes into the journey, when one of the teenage girls in the back of the car said to me, Ellie, are we nearly there yet? Uh, It was a very long journey because I had to break it to her. We had another hour and 55 minutes to go. And if you've ever been, you know, maybe if you've not traveled with small children, that one doesn't work. But if you've ever been on a long haul flight, uh, you'll probably at some point in your journey have flicked over to the flight tracker channel. Um, and um, you see this little plane uh, going over this huge kind of map of the world. And at 2 a.m., just three hours into a 14-hour flight, that little plane picture doesn't seem to be going anywhere. In fact, it seems to be going backwards. And you know where you want to be, but it just feels so far away. God, when will your kingdom come? Are we nearly there yet? This is a question that Jesus' followers were asking. The general expectation among the Jewish people uh, was that their long-awaited Messiah would come and overrule the mighty empire of the day and establish his rule and reign across the entire world. And when Jesus announced at the beginning of his public ministry that the kingdom of God is near... This is what they'd have had in mind. And in the time that they'd been following Jesus, there had been moments where they'd seen amazing acts of power and authority. As people around them that encountered Jesus were set free from demons, as miraculous signs and wonders were performed, as people were healed of all kinds of sickness and disease, as people were even raised from the dead. And right here in this chapter of Luke's gospel, we come across um, Jesus healing a woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. Yes, Jesus' followers had seen glimpses of God's kingdom breaking out among them. Moments when it would have seemed like, you know, that little plane on the flight tracker took huge leaps forward. But they'd also experienced many moments when it felt like nothing was happening where they seemed to be going backwards, where the opposition they faced was enormous. 
And in fact, it was only going to get bigger as they grew closer and closer to Jerusalem. You see, compared to the great forces that surrounded them, Jesus' followers would have been very aware of their huge insignificance. Compared to the might of the Roman Empire, the age-old splendor of Judaism, these semi-illiterate disciples would have felt very small and inadequate. As they asked the question, will we ever get there? Will this kingdom really be established? Are we nearly there yet? And maybe in our day, as we see and hear of people around the world persecuted for their faith, as our TV screens are filled with atrocities like that which happened in Sri Lanka over Easter, as we find ourselves faced with an increasingly secular society with many, many more barriers being put up to the gospel, it's a question that maybe we're asking. God, when will your kingdom come? Will your kingdom come? Are we nearly there yet? And in Jesus' mercy and kindness, he doesn't leave any of us struggling along, guessing, wishing, wondering whether his kingdom will come to anything. Because in these two little parables, he assures us that it will. Jesus tells us that a day is coming when his kingdom will rule and reign and be established over every corner of this earth. And no matter how mighty and powerful the forces around might seem, the power of his kingdom to advance and to transform this world is unstoppable. And it's a message to those that were gathered round Jesus. It's a message they needed to hear in their day. And it's a message that we need to hear in our day. And tonight, I just want to share three things that God's advancing kingdom means for our lives. And the first is this. God's kingdom is advancing, and we can be confident. God's kingdom is advancing, and we can be confident. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn again or keep them open uh, to the uh, first parable, Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 19. Just read it again. It's very short. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? I wonder what they thought his answer to his own question was going to be. As they waited with bated breath, I wonder what they expected him to say. Well, the chances are that it wasn't what came next. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. Mustard seeds were the smallest seeds that farmers had, around one millimeter big. Yet Jesus is saying this is what his kingdom is like. I wonder whether they managed to hide their surprise when he said that. I wonder what was going on in their heads and their hearts as he broke that news to them. Their dreams of somebody coming in to shatter the Roman Empire would have gone to the ground. But, says Jesus, it doesn't stay like this. He continues, it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. If you plant this tiny seed, Jesus says, into good soil, 
It will grow to be a tree 10 foot tall with branches so large that birds of every kind will come and rest in them. And you don't need to worry about whether or not it will happen. That's just the way nature works. If you plant the seed in the right soil, in the right conditions, it will grow. It will expand. It's just what happens. And to the people listening, this illustration would have been really significant. Because throughout Scripture, which they would have been very familiar with, trees would often be used to describe huge, great political powers. And so by saying that his kingdom, that the kingdom of God will grow into a big tree, Jesus is making a massive statement about the greatness and authority of the kingdom that is coming. At times, God's kingdom might seem small and insignificant. It might feel like nothing is happening. It might even feel like things are going backwards. But, Jesus says, as this tiny little seed will grow into a big tree so that birds can rest in its branches, so the kingdom of God will grow. It will expand. It will come to rule and reign over every corner and inch of this earth. It's just what happens. And to really hammer his point home, Jesus tells another parable, and he moves this time from the garden into the kitchen as he asks the question again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. With this little illustration, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God doesn't just grow but that it transforms everything around it. Though it may start from small beginnings, it will permeate the dough, and its impact and influence will bring total transformation. And I love that Jesus doesn't just have to tell these two stories to illustrate his point. His very life is an illustration of the truth that he's teaching. We've just celebrated Easter and Jesus' incredible victory over sin and death. Yet when Jesus came to earth, there was nothing very special from looking at him. He was born to a teenager in a stable. He worked for 30 years as a carpenter. At 30, He began his ministry selecting a group of unimpressive men to follow him, people who hadn't quite made the cut. He spent his time hanging out with the down and outs, the people that nobody else would associate themselves with. And then aged 33, just three years into his ministry, he was killed on a Roman cross. Isaiah, in in his book, he has a prophecy of of the coming Messiah, and he sums it up pretty well in chapter 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised 
and we esteemed him not. Yet this was the one who won a victory that no king, ruler, or political power has ever won or ever will win. A victory over death itself. And the one who began life in a stable, in a backwater town, has had a greater impact and influence on this world than anyone who's ever lived or ever will live. In 33 AD, there were around 120 followers of Jesus Christ. Some of them were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, fearing for their lives, terrified that what had just happened to their leader was going to happen to them. And then Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came and filled them, and they went out with boldness and courage, proclaiming that their leader had risen from the dead. And now 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion people claim to be followers of Jesus too. That's one in three people in the world. The Church of Jesus Christ is the largest organization on this planet. A dozen poor fishermen and tax collectors turned into 120 people, which turned into thousands, which turned into tens of thousands, which turned into hundreds of thousands, which is now billions. How amazing is that? The kingdom of God is advancing. These aren't just nice parables, stories that Jesus told. This is the way that God's kingdom works. You know, we probably, looking at the facts and figures, wouldn't have backed this horse from the start. A stable, a crown of thorns, a crucifixion. But it's winning. In fact, it's won. And a day is coming when Jesus will come back, not as a tiny little baby, but as a mighty and victorious king. I wonder if you noticed that in both these parables... Though Jesus doesn't say it, that the growth that he's talking about would have taken time. That it was an instant growth. Last Friday, I spent my day off hanging out with a really good friend and uh, her six-month-old child, our little godson, who's really sweet. He's just learning to sit up, uh, but occasionally uh, it doesn't quite work out for him. He falls flat on his face, um, and he hasn't quite got the arm strength to pull himself back up. But though he's small now, we know that he's not going to be small forever. His dad is pretty tall, and he's got pretty big hands and feet. But you know, it's going to take time for him to grow. It's not going to happen overnight, but it doesn't mean it won't happen or that we should be surprised when it does. You know, I've always been surprised over the years and rather amused when, you know, we've had those kind of family reunions um, and, you know, old relatives that, that haven't seen you for years come up to you and they say with surprise, gosh, haven't you grown? You know, and you just feel like responding, well, I should hope so. Last time you saw me, I was five, and it would be pretty odd if I was still three and a half foot tall. <laughs> you know, just like my little godson, God's kingdom has growth built into it. And though it may take time, it is inevitable. We can trust the process. We can have confidence that God's kingdom is advancing. 
And when we look around this world, it's in the very places where people of God are facing opposition that the church is growing at astonishing rates. There are around 600 million evangelicals around the world today, and that is more than a 500% increase since 1960 when there were 90 million. And the most growth is seen in the South, in regions such as Latin America, Africa, and Asia. In the early 1900s, this is amazing, there were around 50,000 Christians in Latin America. There are now more than 100 million. Also, in the 1900s, there were fewer than 9 million Christians in Africa. There are now around 541 million. In 1960, Nepal had only 30 known Christians, but there are now hundreds of thousands of believers in that country professing faith in Jesus Christ. I could go on. These parables are not just nice, comforting stories. They hold true in our lives and in our world today. No matter what pressures or persecutions or trials come, the advancing of God's kingdom cannot be stopped. Like a river that cannot be dammed, no matter how high or wide or strong the barriers are, it's going to keep on advancing and we can be confident to all Jesus' followers this was and continues to be incredibly encouraging news. God's kingdom is advancing and we can be confident. And secondly, God's kingdom is advancing and blessing will come. As God's kingdom advances, blessing comes. Growth leads to blessing. As the mustard seed grew into a tree, it provided space for birds of every kind to come and shelter in its branches. As the yeast spread throughout the dough, a flat, crunchy biscuit was turned into delicious, soft, risen bread, the kind that you come down to the smell of in the morning if you have a bread maker and you've remembered to turn it on the night before. As God's kingdom advances, it brings blessing with it. And the image of birds coming to rest in the branches of the tree in that first parable would have spoken so strongly to those who were familiar with the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel received this word from God. We can read it in chapter 7 of the book of Ezekiel, where God says, On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant a tree. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. This was a prophecy of what was to come. Up till now, the blessing of God's kingdom had been for his chosen people, the Jewish nation. But here is Jesus proclaiming the fulfillment of this prophecy. In verse 19, we read that this seed grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. This language would have rung bells in their minds. They'd heard it before. The kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming and saying is near is for anyone and everyone who wants to receive it. And one of my favorite things to do is to hear stories of God, how God's advancing kingdom has blessed and transformed people's lives. 
Just last Saturday, we um, had Emmy Wilson here, who has had a profound impact in um, seeing, you know, as she's been obedient to the call of God upon her life, on building God's kingdom, partnering with him in the things that he's doing. And she has seen some amazing God stories of lives transformed, of hope restored. And I just want to show us tonight um, a, a video of a, a man she actually talked about on, um, on the day. And he tells the story. It's just a couple of minutes long. Um, but it's a really powerful example of, of how when God's kingdom touches a life, it can bring total blessing. So let's just have the first video. Uh, thank you. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head, I ended up um, Stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor, and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system, and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got to prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed them. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair. And I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm gonna say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying, and I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life, because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then, as I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed, <clears throat> and I just, right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real, um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in the prison where I, because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first, that's how God works. 
The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got um, four kids and then my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. It's just a remarkable story of what can happen when God's um, kingdom breaks out in someone's life. And, 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 and Emmy was, was telling us uh, about him. She knows him. She's walked with him through his journey. And just a remarkable story um, of, of the blessing that comes when God's kingdom advances. And I just, because that's a pretty dramatic story. Um, and, you know, we can look at something like that and think, well, that's, that's amazing, but it can feel quite removed. Uh, but last week, we showed at our APCM just a minute-long video of some testimonies from the home team. Um, and we're just going to show that again, because a lot of us uh, missed it. And I just, I don't want anybody to miss it, because it's amazing. It's such an amazing encouragement of the power of God to, to bless a life. So here we go. Here's some stories from our own family. When God's kingdom breaks out in people's lives, when people choose to rest under his rule and reign, life-changing transformation and blessing takes place. Maybe you're here tonight and uh, you've written yourself off. Maybe you hear those stories and you think, well, that's great, but, but that could never be my story. God doesn't care about me. I've blown it. You know, whatever it is that you're thinking as you uh, sit there and put yourself on the sidelines, it could not be further from the truth. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've just never really thought about what it might be like to live under God's rule and reign, to make him your Lord and your King. Well, you have an opportunity tonight to, to find out more about what that that might look like to come before the King of Kings and experience the blessing of life transformation that he longs to pour out. 
God's advancing kingdom gives us confidence. God's advancing kingdom brings blessing. And finally, God's kingdom is advancing and we can get involved. God's kingdom is advancing and we can get involved. I wonder if you notice that in both these little stories that Jesus tells, a human being like you and me had a role to play in the crazy growth and change that happened. Both the man and the woman had a part to play. You see, if that seed had not been planted and the yeast hadn't been mixed into that dough, nothing would have happened. God's plan all along was that we would get to be part of his life-transforming kingdom. If we've chosen to follow Jesus tonight, then we get to be on the team Remember what Jesus said to his disciples just before he went to heaven. After his death and resurrection, he gave them these words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Two thousand years may have passed since Jesus said those words. But his plan has not changed. This is still his plan A. And I wonder how you feel as you hear that tonight. Maybe you're excited or maybe slightly daunted. What have I got to offer? What difference can I make? The I'm not excuses come out. But I'm not good enough. I'm not clever enough. I've not been a Christian long enough. I'm not an evangelist. I'm too quiet. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. We can fill in the blanks. And yes, when we look at what we have to offer compared to the needs around us, when we look at our efforts compared to the size of the world, we can feel tiny and insignificant. But I believe that we can take great comfort from these parables because it's not about how big our offering is. It's about where we plant it, who we plant it in and how big he is. That man didn't make that tree grow. He just planted the seed. The woman didn't force the yeast to work. She simply mixed it into the dough. They both played their part. And it's worth saying that playing our part and getting involved in God's advancing kingdom isn't always easy. It requires hard work. The man who planted that seed wouldn't have literally just taken that tiny seed a millimeter big, shoved it in the ground, walked off and come back to find an enormous tree having grown. Despite having limited gardening knowledge, I was once a horticultural assistant. And so I do know (laughs) that he'd have had to have gone to great lengths to prepare the ground, to dig the soil, to get the area ready for growth to happen before he could put that seed in the grounds. And in the parable of the yeast, I don't know if you noticed the little letter uh, next to where the uh, amount of flour was that she mixed the yeast into. Well, it was 22 liters. That is a lot of flour. She must have had pretty strong arms to mix that in. It doesn't just require uh, hard work, it also requires patience. Your trees don't grow overnight. <laughs> Bread doesn't rise easily. And I think there are times in our lives when we ask the question, what difference am I making? You know, I'm just pressing buttons on a sound desk and pouring coffee, saying hello to people on a door, 
running a CU for four people, chatting to one work colleague about Jesus, coming with one friend to the Alpha course. Is it worth it? Yes, it is so worth it. If we're faithful and obedient with the little bit that we have, God is able to take it and turn it into something extraordinary. Sometimes we see the fruit and sometimes we don't or we have to wait a long time. But that's not the point. I love what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We are called to plant seeds, but God is the one who makes them grow. He is the one who is advancing his kingdom. Yet our decisions and our actions will make a very real difference. And to get involved in the building of God's kingdom doesn't involve spiritual acrobatics. Simply proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, will bring growth. I love this little excerpt from David Watson's book, You Are My God. He was a vicar and an evangelist who God used in a really powerful way. And this is what he says. Uh, This is an excerpt from his book. What are we going to do with you when we close you down? That was the discouraging and unnerving question that I was asked on my second full day at St. Cuthbert's Church in York. The questioner was the chairman of the Church Redundancy Commission, who had come to consider the future use of the building. I'd only just arrived, believing that it had future as a living church. The commission were already planning its future as a possible museum for York University. I gave the chairman what may seem a typically pious remark from a young clergyman. If anyone comes to this church and preaches the simple gospel of Christ, believes in the power of prayer and trusts in the Holy Spirit, this building will be full in no time. Unconvinced, they gave me one year's grace before regretfully they would have to close St. Cuthbert's down. What happened? Well, over the next couple of years, that congregation grew to such an extent that they had to plant themselves in St. Michael's Church next to the cathedral in the heart of York. How amazing is that? And you know, we don't all have to go and become vicars, thank goodness, to get involved. Think about where God has placed you. What is your field? What has God given you to build with? Your gifts, talents, time, money. No matter what stage of life we're at, we can all play a part in the building of God's advancing kingdom. Wherever God has put you, he is able to use you. So get involved. Pray and ask God to show you your field, to show you the tools that he's given you to use. God isn't asking us to be somebody we're not, to bring something that we don't have. All he asks of us is to be who we are, to bring what we do have, and then he does the rest. For each of us, it starts with what's in front of us, with the people that you're going to see tomorrow when you go to work, with your friends on your corridor, with your teammates on your sports team, with your family, with parents at the school gate. What we have to bring may feel like a tiny amount But when we plant it in God, the king of the advancing kingdom, 
He can turn it into something extraordinary. Our efforts will make a difference. In our lives, we want to get behind things which will be successful. We want to back the right horse. We want to make good investments, whether that's finances, relationships, time, energy. None of us want to go plowing resources into something which is going to fail. Well, Jesus reminds us in this parable that his kingdom is never going to fail. God's kingdom is always going to keep growing and moving forward. Yes, it may take time, but we can be confident that it is advancing and there is no greater or safer or more secure place to plow our resources into than helping it to grow. As we do, we will not be disappointed. God's kingdom is advancing and we can be confident. God's kingdom is advancing and blessing is and will come. God's kingdom is advancing and we can be involved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you teach us. And Lord, thank you so much for the confidence that we find in these parables, that the kingdom that you came to bring in is advancing. Lord Jesus, thank you that when it does, we get to see blessing upon blessing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the changed lives we have seen even in this church family in recent weeks. And Lord God, I thank you that you have called each and every one of us to play a part in what you're already doing. And I pray that you would, even tonight, be stirring us to see where you're calling us to get involved. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just be planting thoughts in our hearts and our minds. And that we might have the courage to say yes. And Lord, I thank you that there is no safer place to be than in the center of your will. Investing in your kingdom. And I just pray, Lord, that wherever each of us are at tonight, that, that you would draw close to us. That you would minister to us and equip us, Lord. That we might see fruit that we might continue to see your kingdom grow. And we pray this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.